Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Many people like to point fingers at politicians they don't like or greedy oil companies for the rising cost of gas. But are the real reasons you're paying through the nose of the pump a little more complicated and a lot more longstanding than that? Let's take a deep dive. Really pleased to have joining us back on the program once again, J.D. Tuchilli, contributor, uh, contributing editor excuse me, at uh, Reason, Reason.com, Reason Magazine. And uh, J.D., you got a great piece today uh, talking about the high price of gas and what the real issues are that are driving those uh, it's so easy for us to just point fingers and place blame. We Whether it's on the left or the right, uh, there's there's lots of uh, people you can point at or point to. Uh, but give us the, the real essence of this. What are we really looking at as uh, we look at the price of gas? Well, the, the fact is that there are a number of factors going into this. And the last couple of years have been chaotic. Yes, we have uh, you know Russia invading Ukraine and the resulting economic sanctions. We've got disrupted supply chains. But the thing is, we had pre-existing problems for years. The push for green energy has been kind of premature. Um, we have heavily burdened petroleum industry, and particularly the refineries, with very heavy regulations that made them only marginally profitable even 10 years ago, well before the pandemic and the supply chain issues. Um, researchers were warning a decade ago that refineries were starting to close there wasn't a lot of interest in building new ones because it was so hard to meet the regulatory uh, burden for uh, for operating them. And then, of course, the pandemic comes. The world goes crazy, and it makes it that much harder and much more economically non-viable. And the ESG, Environmental and Social Governance Movement, rises and discourages investments in the petroleum industry. And now we're wondering why gasoline is so expensive and why we don't have refining capacity to produce more of it. Well, we've kind of been telling the petroleum industry for years, don't invest anymore. Your industry is going to go away. And a lot of politicians want to make sure it goes away. And we kind of guarantee we'd arrive at this point um, eventually. And the chaos just kind of brought it around now. Yeah, and and looking at that, uh, it, it's such a uh, an irony that you did have so much of this regulatory burden making it harder and harder to do that. Uh, really, as as you pointed out, JD, uh, really encouraging them to shutter some of these refineries in particular, and uh, and now all of a sudden uh, they're awful and horrible because they shut them down, and we need them to crank them up again. Uh, there's so many contradictions in there. Uh, but how do we how do we move forward on that? Because it seems to me that the messaging, especially uh, coming out of the White House, uh, is so conflicted uh, in terms of what they're doing and, and whether that's dealing with Saudi Arabia or whether that's red tape and refineries. Uh, it seems like they're in a really interesting catch 22. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, this kind of environment we've created. I mean, let's remember that the current president campaigned promising that he wasn't going to allow any more uh, oil and gas exploration on federal land, that he wanted to shut the industry down. He's got a lot of very committed environmentalists in his administration, which is all well and good if we're ready to move on to the next thing. But there's a transitional period. I mean, we need a petroleum industry. We need our carbon-based fuels, at least for some decades to come. Um, But this kind of campaigning, this kind of discouraging um, of the industry creates what's called regulatory uncertainty. 
And when you have businesses uncertain what the government is going to do to them, whether the rules are going to change from day to day, whether their industry is even going to be allowed to exist in the decade. Um, and the, you know, the federal government announced uh, under the Biden administration that we're going to be buying any more gasoline-powered cars after 2035. Well, obviously, that's going to reduce the demand for gasoline. California's talked about banning the sale of such vehicles. That's going to reduce it more. Why would you put hundreds of millions of dollars of investment to building new refineries or even try to maintain, to maintain new ones when you've got ESG activists getting onto your board and saying, no, 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 we're not going to invest in this. Um, you know, we're going to discourage the company and push it you know, more towards solar and wind. And you're going to start backing away from that industry because you see the writing on the wall and you want your company to remain not just profitable, but even just continue to be able to exist in the future. So we've got to create a rem- an environment of re- regulatory certainty where we the industry understands it's going to be allowed to exist. The transition to new uh, forms of energy has got to take place in a natural way as they become economically viable. Can't be forced. Can't be mandated. It's got to develop as it becomes, um, you know, economically, uh, you know, enticing to do so, so that these companies can continue to operate for as long as we need them, and we do need them. Um, in the absence of that certainty, uh, uh, in the absence of knowing that the rules are knowable and aren't going to change in strange and uh, draconian ways uh, from year to year, they're not going to invest, and we're going to just have shortages like we have now in high prices. Yeah, that uncertainty is uh, is really the, the the big challenge, I think, for most businesses. They they want that certainty. And then we also have to look at it from the standpoint of uh, businesses, uh, unlike the government, uh, they, they're not using other businesses. You know the the other people's money that they use uh, isn't coming from a tax; <laughs> it's coming from investors, uh, and so they they have to be able to turn that into something. And and if they don't believe that uh, the rules are going to stay the same, or that the goalposts are not going to be moved uh, based on whoever's in the White House, uh, that's a tough way for them to actually do the job of running that kind of business. Oh, absolutely. These companies have got to stay in the black, and they've got to uh, satisfy their shareholders and produce profits. Um, They can't operate at a loss forever. They can't stay in industries that are going to evaporate, and they've got to be able to attract um, investment capital. Um, the shareholders won't come in even in, you know, even if they're not committed to green energy. And then you've got the ESG movement in the financial markets, which is actively introducing ideological concerns and discouraging investment in this kind of industry. So um, there's a very good reason for the uh, oil companies just to say, you know what, we'll use our existing capacity and we'll collect the profits from that. But we're not going to invest anymore until we, until we know that the industry is going to stay around. Otherwise, we're going to be losing money in just a couple of years, and we're going to be in a lot of trouble with the markets, with our investors and shareholders. Yeah, and I think everybody can say, okay, we can we can transition to green. We want to we want to do that, uh, but again, we end up doing these things that are so contradictory. Of you know, suddenly we're going to the Saudis, uh, where we won't even have certainty in terms of what we will get and when we will get it or how. We know it will not be as clean or green as what we would produce here in the U.S., and we know they'd have to pump it, again, more dirty over there, and then transport it across the world. Uh, and so all of those things are just such a contradictory in terms of, of where we are and where we need to go. Uh, as you look at it moving forward, J.D., what is it? What are the things that, that the either the administration or the Congress uh, can start doing to make sure that we actually have a path, that we can be responsible and we can be good stewards of the environment and the climate and so on? And at the same time, we can make sure we're uh, not in the crisis that we find ourselves in right now. 
Well, they could listen to the industry for one thing. The American, the American Petroleum Institute, which is the trade association for the industry, put forward a 10-point plan that's at least a starting point for talking about what are viable regulations for the refinery sector, for the drilling and, and, uh, and developing sector. Um, you've got to work with the industry. You've got to stop vilifying it. You can't use any industry, petroleum or any, or any other, mm-hmm. as a punching bag if you want it to exist. Um, and then find out what are their complaints. And these are longstanding complaints going back at least a decade that would prevent them from opening, um, from maintaining new refineries, um, maintaining existing refineries, rather, and opening new ones. Um, and work with the industry and not and not treat it as a punching bag, and then you can move forward from there um, and just treat it as a viable part of our economy that's going to be with us for a while before it transitions out, if it ever fully transitions out. You can't just wave a wand and make that happen. We may find we need it for longer, or we may develop new technologies that allow it to disappear sooner. Uh, but we don't know the future, and so we can't just decide um, you know, that we're going to be ending one form of energy and transitioning to a new one that really isn't quite ready to take up that slack. Yeah, so important. That trust factor, that confidence and certainty is so, so important. And it is hard to build trust if someone's uh, whacking you over the head uh, three times a day. It makes that just a, a little bit different. J.D. Tuchilli, contributing editor at Reason, Reason.com. Uh, great piece, great thinking as always. J.D., thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. All right. Uh, we'll step aside for a quick commercial break. World Refugee Refugee Day is coming up on Monday. The state of Utah has some events planned today and tomorrow to celebrate. Utah's Director of Re- Refugee Services, Asha Parekh, will join us. Talk about it coming up next.